Good morning. Welcome to Dogwood Church. It's so good to see each of you. It's time for us to dismiss kids. If you have children that need to be taken back to the nursery, you can get them taken back and checked in. If you have kids that are going to Kid Zone up through sixth grade, they can head to the back doors where Cody and Megan will take them back for Kid Zone. Before we get started today, I did want to remind you about two, uh, two collections we have going on. Uh, this Sunday. Uh, we emailed out earlier this week. I'm not sure if everybody received that, but uh, we're wanting to take up a special offering this Sunday to go towards the disaster relief from all of those that were affected by the tornadoes uh, just over a week ago in Kentucky and some of the other areas. Uh, and so we will be, the money that's given towards that special offering to d- today is going to go to the Texas Baptist men. The Texas Baptist men have individuals on the ground working in the disaster relief, helping care for the individuals that are affected, helping with cleanup, helping hand out resources. So um, if you are able to give towards that uh, on your check in the memo line, just put disaster relief and drop that in the, in the tithe and offering box. Or if you have cash that you're giving towards that, you can just put it in the envelope uh, in front of you and write disaster relief on that. And so we wanted to be able to do something. And of course, we, we ask that you pray for those individuals, uh, people that have been you know, devastated, their lives completely turned upside down. So the other collection we have going on is for local ministry, Love in Action, homeless ministry. Uh, we sent out asking for some food items. If you brought food items that you're wanting to give, uh, there's a stack that started accumulating outside uh, these doors by one of the pillars. And so if you need to, if you haven't brought that in and you need to drop off the food items, you'll see when you head out these doors, the stuff there. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. This is the fourth week of Advent, uh, the season of waiting, uh, the season of, of waiting on the arrival of Jesus, on the, the coming of Jesus. The, the theme for the fourth week of Advent is love. Love is one of our greatest needs as human beings. Uh, when experienced uh, in our lives, when realized in our lives, it can tremendously shape us for good. Uh, and when never realized or never experienced, it can distort us. It can distort the way we think. It can distort the way we see and interact with the world. I finished reading a couple of months ago a book by Stephen Ambrose uh, called Comrades. Uh, Ambrose is a historian, and he was exploring the idea of friendship, uh, friendship between men specifically. And uh, he had all of these different case studies of of men who built these great bonds of friendship that then was used to like shape the history of the world. But he had one chapter in there on uh, not having a friend. And he used as his case study for that Richard Nixon. Nixon was known for holding people at a distance. Richard Nixon was known for not letting people close to him, not really trusting people in his life and feeling like it would be wrong for him to do that. And in that, there was this excerpt of a a journalist interviewing Henry Kissinger And Kissinger said this about Richard Nixon. He said, can you imagine what he would have been like if someone had loved him? And the journalist said, well, like, what do you mean? Can you can you 
clarify a little bit. And he said, I don't think anyone ever really cared for him. I don't think his parents did, and I don't think his peers did. And he said, he could have been a great, great man had someone loved him. And that was not his legacy, of course. This season, of course, for us, the Christmas season is a celebration of love. It's a celebration of God's love. It's been demonstrated to us through the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ. I've titled my sermon, The Love of God. Realizing His love, realizing the love that God has for us as His children is life-changing. It's life-giving. So I'm going to read the text from Luke 1, verse 57 to 80, and then pray for us as we get ready to study this. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, No, he will be called John. Then they said to her, None of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted to be, him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart saying, what then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up And became spiritually strong. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We confess it this Sunday as we do each Sunday. That it is true and we need this truth for our lives. And so we ask that you work in us, Holy Spirit. 
work in our hearts, work in our minds, that we will believe, that we will understand, and that we will respond accordingly. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we work our way through this text, I want to point out some of the details about the love of God. This week and next week, we are uh, going to look at two stories of miraculous births. Uh, And in both of them, this birth of John, and then of course next week with the birth of Jesus, we see the love of God on display, how much he actually loves us. And so as I work through this text today, we're going to see the love of God working in these individuals' lives. And we're going to hear about the love of God in the, in the nation and for the world. But if we've come to faith in Christ, it's something that's true of us also. These events about, that demonstrate God's love from over 2,000 years ago are real for us if we have put our faith in Christ. And so as we work through this text, we're going to see several truths uh, about God's love The first of those is this, the love of God has brought us out of our hopelessness. The love of God has brought us out of our hopelessness. And we talked a little bit about this uh, when we started this Advent series. Uh, the, The announcement that John the Baptist, John the Baptist was coming, that Zechariah and Elizabeth were going to have a child, we talked about God working in hopelessness. Now we're seeing it actually play out in their lives. Let's look back at the text, starting in verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah. After his father, but his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to the father to find out what kind, I'm sorry, find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God, fear came on all those who lived around them. And all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. And then I'd like to skip ahead to verse 80. The child, this is speaking about John, the child grew up and became spiritually strong. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The day that they didn't think would ever come has finally come. The day where they were certain they would never see. Uh, Remember the story when we looked at the, uh, the introduction to them. They were both well along in years. Zechariah described himself as an old man. And Elizabeth was well along in years and had never been able to conceive. And they had given up hope that they would ever have a child. And the day that they expected would never come has finally come. Where there was emptiness, that space has been filled. Where there was hopelessness, Zechariah and Elizabeth are given a son 
and it was promised. And now at least ten months later, that day is finally here. They've had this child. And then we see in that summary verse in verse 80, the child grew up and he was spiritually strong. The Lord was with him. God was at work. And he was doing exactly what he had said he was going to do. What he had said he was going to do through the prophets hundreds of years before and what he had promised Zechariah when he sent Gabriel to speak to him. God kept his word to them. Remember, Elizabeth referred to this as this situation when she finally conceived. She says, the Lord has shown me favor and taken away my disgrace. Right? He, he has worked in this hopelessness that I felt. And so they, of course, are, remember, they were described as faithful. They were righteous. They were, they were good, godly uh, a good godly couple, a godly man and woman. And they are following the instructions all the way back to Abraham. They had been instructed on the eighth day the male child should be circumcised. And so, of course, Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to do what was required of them. Because they've been faithful all their life. And so they bring, uh, they make the preparations for the child to be circumcised on the eighth day. And apparently the tradition at that time was this was the day that they would also actually name the child. And we see in this uh, the family members who've gathered, the, the neighbors who are there and rejoicing with them. Look at what God's done in their lives. And they say, let's... He needs to be named after the father. Zechariah was a good man. He was a godly man who had served God faithfully all of his life as a priest. And they want to name him after Zechariah. And Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. And that's confusing to them. The tradition was it would be named, the, the child would be named after a family member. And they said, nobody in your family's named Zach, uh, named John. Why would you want to choose that name? And so they go to Zechariah and say, what do you want him to be called? And he affirms his name is John. John is what he's going to be called. Zechariah affirms and God finally opens his mouth. Remember, ten months of silence. Ten months of not being able to speak. At least ten months. We don't know exactly. But uh, at least ten months of not being able to say a word. And the way the text is written, also it seems that there could have been an issue of him not being able to actually hear. But unable to speak. And after ten months, just as Gabriel said, Gabriel said, You will not be able to speak until this has been fulfilled. And when they finally say, the son's name is John, God opens his mouth. He sets his tongue free. I love that description. It's like it's been in bondage for ten months. Unable to say a word. And finally, he's able to speak. And what does Zechariah do? He praises God. He praises God for what he has done. And that was the response of Elizabeth. That was the response of the neighbors. That was the response of the relatives that were there. They all rejoiced. They all praised God. Look at what God has done. He worked in this hopeless situation. 
the response was rejoicing because God has brought them out of their hopelessness. He kept his word to them. He was faithful to them, just as he always is. He sustained them through that hopeless time. Decades of hopelessness. He sustained them through that and then brought them out of what was hopeless from a human standpoint. And the reality for us, church, is this. He's still a wonder-working God. He's still a God that works in our hopelessness, right? He works in hopeless situations. There are miracles that he's constantly working. Some of them we see, some of them we have no idea that it's even happening. But of course, one of the things we talked about a few weeks ago, the, the most hopeless of all situations that he's worked in is our salvation. If you remember in uh, Mark, the story of the rich young ruler, uh, after that account, Jesus tells his disciples, it's easier for a rich man I mean, I'm sorry, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to uh, get to heaven. And the disciples are perplexed. The disciples are confused by this and they say to each other, well, then who in the world could be saved? Here's this guy who seems like God's clearly blessed him. And he's, he's been faithful. He's been a good man. He describes himself as like, I've kept the law. I've done everything that's been asked of me. And so clearly this is one that would be saved. Who could be saved if he couldn't be? And Jesus speaks to them and says, with man it's impossible. There's nothing about mankind that would allow them to be saved. There's nothing that you could do. There's nothing about you that would allow you to be saved. But with God it's possible because everything is possible with God. He has worked in the most hopeless of situations. Through his son that he was getting ready to send in the world, he has worked in our hopelessness. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Our salvation is one of the things that is a demonstration of God's love. Right? He has brought us out of our hopelessness and made a way for us to be saved. And our salvation is the next truth about God's love that I want us to look at. The second point is this. The love of God has provided salvation. The love of God has provided salvation. Let's look at verse 67 to 73, the first part of 73. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. A spirit-filled prophecy. Uh, this is the second time we've seen it in Luke, right? The, uh, the first was in Mary, when, I mean in Elizabeth, when, when Mary greeted her. Uh, Elizabeth 
has the baby John leap inside of her out of response. And it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she spoke these words about Mary. Blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. And then she goes on to say like, who am I to deserve that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So that was the first spirit-filled prophecy, the spirit-filled words declared over what God was doing in these situations. And now, Zechariah has the same thing happen, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, after months of silence, finally able to speak, and the Spirit of God fills him, and he is able to declare all of these truths. And he's able to praise God and rejoice in God. And that's what the first words say. Blessed is the Lord. Uh, blessed is the Lord. He's blessing God. That's a, a phrase to mean like he's praising the Lord. Why is he praising him? He's not praising him specifically for what he's done. And he's done a lot of things. He's sent, uh, you know, this beautiful message to him. He's fulfilled his promise to send a child to him, even though him and his wife had never been able to have one. They've now had this son. He had so much to be thankful for. For God's mercy for not just giving up on him, even though he doubted the message that he had been given. But he's not praising God for his personal things that God has done for him. He's looking at a much broader picture. He's looking at salvation. Look at what God's doing. He's, he's made a way for his people. And so he talks about he's redeemed his people. Redeemed, paying the price. That was often used with, uh, you know, transfer of ownership or to pay the price to bring someone out of slavery. You would have to pay a redemption price. And he says that's what God's done with his children. He's paid the price. To save his children, to bring them out of the bondage that they're in. He's raised up a horn of salvation. A horn of salvation. The, in speaking from like the animal standpoint, an animal's horn is a sign of its strength. It's a sign of its power. It's spoken of in the Old Testament imagery of being like the sign of victory. He says he's, he's brought in the, the horn of salvation. The power of salvation in sending this child that's to come. And he's not talking about John. He's talking about the one that's still to be born. The one that we'll look at next week. The birth of Jesus. It says he's raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David. Just like what the prophet said he would do. And just as he promised to Abraham that he was going to do all of these things through his descendants. In Genesis chapter 22, we see the promise. Now, he had spoken to Abraham. God had spoken to Abraham multiple times about what he was going to do in giving him this family, all of these descendants. Eventually, when Isaac comes uh, and Isaac starts to grow up, God calls him to sacrifice Isaac. And it's, Scripture tells us that Abraham trusted him. Abraham believed that he would still be able to keep his promise. 
even though he's asking him to do this. And so this account is after Abraham was willing to go through with that, and then the angel stops him from sacrificing Isaac. And we see these words from Genesis 22, starting in verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you, and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring, because you have obeyed my command. Paul goes on in the New Testament to tell us that Jesus is the one... Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. Jesus is the seed of Abraham that was bringing about the blessing to the nations of the world. God kept his promise and provided the Savior that would bless the nations. What good news for us that God keeps his promises from thousands and thousands of years, from things that he had planned before the foundations of the world were even set, God keeps his promises. He fulfills his plans. He loved us enough to send his son to redeem us, to provide us with the salvation that we could never have achieved on our own. It was impossible with us. And Jesus, of course, in John 3.16 says... For God loved the world. He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have eternal life. The CSB translates the first part of that verse. For God loved the world this way. This is how He loved us. He sent Jesus for us. He sent Jesus so that all we would have to do is believe in Him. He sent Jesus to take the punishment that we deserved. And if we would believe in Him, we would be saved. Zechariah, in this section, speaks about the enemies being stopped, right? He talks about he's, uh, He has protected us from our enemies. He saved us from our enemies, from the hand of those who hate us. And yeah, he's speaking from one standpoint, from a national standpoint, the nation of Israel and the protection that's there because the promised Messiah is the, the one that would lead perfectly. Uh, but of course, spiritually speaking, the child who's coming Jesus was also going to rescue us from the spiritual enemies that we face. Scripture talks about sin being our enemy, death being our enemy, Satan being our enemy, and Christ has dealt with them. God loved us enough to send someone who would protect us, who would rescue us from the hands of our enemies because he loves us. He's provided salvation for us. The third point we see in this text is this. The love of God invites us to serve Him. The love of God invites us to serve Him. Let's look at 
second part of 73 on through 77. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness in His presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. It's a privilege to serve God. It's a privilege to be invited in to serve God faithfully. And here we see that that's why God rescued us. That He rescued us so that we could serve Him. Now, Zechariah speaks universally at first about we've been given this privilege to serve God. Uh, and he says this is, since we've been rescued, we can serve Him without fear. Uh, since we've been rescued, we don't have to worry about our enemies and we can just serve God faithfully. We can pursue holiness and righteousness and live a life of glory to God. And then he transitions to speak specifically to his child John. Remember, John is the one. The angel told him uh, who John would be. John was going to grow up to be the, the forerunner. John was going to be the one that came before the Messiah to point the way, to prepare the way which was one of the prophecies from Isaiah, Isaiah 40, I believe, that, uh, that there would be one to come to prepare the way for the Lord, to make straight the path to the Lord. And he says, you're going to be the one, child, that's going to tell people about their need for salvation, their need for the forgiveness of their sins, and you're going to be able to point them to the one who can provide it. You're going to do these things. You're going to live a life of service. And that's exactly what John did. He lived a life of service to God. The salvation that came, the salvation that's been provided, redeems the way we live. Without Jesus, Scripture talks about how it's impossible to please God. Uh, because without Jesus, we don't have the Spirit of God working in us. And without the Spirit of God working in us, we would not be able to do anything that could honor God and please God. But with Christ, we've been given the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God lives in us and starts to transform us, changes us for God's glory, transforms the way that we live God has changed us. He's given us a new identity. We're no longer enemies of God, but children of God, sons and daughters. And we've been given this privilege and invited in to serve Him. Not as a means like you're going to pay off what you've done, but just like I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in this world. He's still on mission to redeem the brokenness of the world and he invites the church into that to serve him faithfully. Ephesians gives clarity to our salvation and then the work that is produced from that. Paul speaks about this in Ephesians 2. 
starting in verse 8. For you were saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God saved us by grace, not by anything that we could have done. Not anything that we did do or will do. God has saved us by grace. And then it says in this passage that He did that in order for us to be able to do the works that He has for us. The works that He had planned for us long before we were ever even born. He prepared good works for us. And He saved us by His grace and then invites us into serving Him faithfully. Letting the Spirit of God work through us so that our lives could be used to honor Him. Living a life for Him. Not in order to earn it, right? That's not possible. We wouldn't be able to earn it. But in response to God's grace, God's mercy in our lives, a life of service. What a privilege that He would prepare good works for us ahead of time. That by His grace He would save us and then invite us in to a life of service to be used for His glory, to fulfill His plans and His mission in this world. What a good God. We wouldn't do that with our enemies, right? We are described as, without Jesus, we are enemies of God, children of wrath, What do we do with our enemies? We want to, at best, we write them off and pretend they don't exist. But really, we want them to suffer. We want them to feel our wrath. We want them destroyed. God's not like us. He took enemies. That's us. People who were His enemies, who were rebellious children. And He changed us. He changed our identity Through His grace, He rescued us out of that and then invites us into service. He says, you're part of my family now and I want to use you for my glory. I want you to to use you as we advance the kingdom of Christ, as the gospel spread. What a good God we serve. That's a staggering love that He would take enemies and turn us into His children and then use us for His glory. The last truth that I want us to look at today is this. The love of God has brought us out of darkness. The love of God has brought us out of darkness. Let's look at verses 78 and 79 again back in Luke 1. Because our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high, will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God's merciful compassion. The Old Testament has a word for that. For all of this that we've been talking about, the love of God, the Old Testament word that is often used is his chesed. And chesed is, uh, 
it encompasses so much it's hard to put into one word. Sometimes we'll see it as his, his love, his loving kindness, his mercy, his compassion, his faithful love. God's merciful compassion, his faithful love to his people. It says, a light is shining. Uh, dawn is coming. There's been darkness ruling And yet, now we see the light is starting to shine. To those who are in darkness, living in the shadow of death. Now at this time, when John is born, it's been 400 years since God had sent a prophet. 400 years of silence. 400 years of oppression. And for the faithful probably feeling just like the crushing weight of the darkness of this world. And that's how this world feels at times. And then after 400 years of silence, God sends another messenger, John. He sends one that's preparing the way for Jesus, the Messiah, who's going to be the light of the world. In Isaiah chapter 9, In that familiar Christmas passage, 9 verse 6, that tells us, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. In that passage, earlier, we see this. Isaiah 9 verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. The promised Messiah steps into the brokenness of this world, the darkness of this world, and shines light, turns on the lights. Think of the, the long nights waiting for light to shine. Sometimes people describe uh, depression uh, Charles Spurgeon talks about his own depression in his writing. And he talked about like the fear he had at night especially. Uh, and that it was an oppressive weight on him. Uh, he felt almost like it was evil. Sitting on his chest at nighttime was when it would hit him sometimes the most. And so think about like that oppressive feeling in darkness And then finally seeing light coming into the darkness and feeling some relief. God has brought us out of our darkness. Scripture speaks about people being in darkness. Talks about our our sin as the deeds of darkness. And then we have our precious Savior speaking these words, I am the light of the world Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness again, but will have the light of life. The love of God has brought us out of our darkness by fulfilling his promise to send this one who could. Now to those of you who haven't trusted in Christ, if there's anyone here who's never really experienced the love of God that's available through Jesus, or if you're just 
Sometimes you just wonder with all of the brokenness that you go through in this world, does, does God really love me? This message today is a reminder that He does. And I want you to experience that love. I want you to realize it. I want you to know that you truly can experience the love of God. Imagine the God of the universe. The God who created everything. The God who's all-powerful and all-knowing, knowing everything that you've done and everything you haven't done. God loves you. It's true. We hang our hope on that here at Dogwood Church. This Christmas season reminds us that He loves us. And so I'd love to talk with you if you have questions about experiencing the love of God, if you have questions about really knowing that God loves you, I'd love to be able to speak with you. You can schedule a time to meet with me after the service or you can fill out one of the yellow cards in front of you. Uh, that's on the back of the seats, and just say, I'd like to schedule a time to meet with the pastor, and I'd love to share with you about God's love and the good news of the gospel of what Jesus did so that you could experience God's love. Church, God loves us. Amen? God loves us. So let's rejoice in that, right? That was the response of Elizabeth... That was the response of her family and her neighbors when they realized God's mercy and His love and His care. That was the response of Zechariah was rejoicing. Look at what God has done. He's so good to us. He loves us so much. God loved us enough to send His Son Jesus for us. And that's astonishing. So let's remind ourselves of that. And let's rejoice in the reality this week as we head up to Christmas Day remembering God loves us. God loves me and He loves you. And then let's respond by serving Him faithfully. He's invited us into that. He's given us the privilege to serve Him faithfully. Let's rejoice in God's love and respond with service. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. And your love truly is astonishing. I pray that we feel that this week. As we prepare for Christmas Day, that we don't let the busyness of the season and the busyness of all the preparation and the travel and the gifts and the celebrations distract us from what it's all about. Because you have sent your son. Because you loved us. I pray that that changes us. I pray that that shapes us. I pray that we'll live lives that bring honor to you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.